what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson, and with me, Chris Fry, we are co-directors, co-founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how's it going? It's going going well. I'm kind of falling into the new schedule of only reviewing one movie at a time, and so that's uh, made it a little easier prep-wise. So um, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, our film today. Well, we can just really kind of chew, focus in, chew in on one movie at, at a time, not have to spread our attention across two every time we get together, which is kind of nice. Um, it does mean you and I have to sit down together and do this more often, which, yeah. That's fine, too. I enjoy this time, so um, it's okay. We're going to keep doing this. This is our, our show where we, as Kristen kind of implied, we, we talk about movies, as you could assume from the name of the show. We get together every week. We talk about a new movie that we are going to review for you, give you our opinions, the two of us. We have not talked about our opinions on said movie. That's kind of our thing. We like to kind of throw our opinions at each other and see uh, if we come out on the same page or in wildly different directions and uh, could go either way. This one, I'm, I'm always curious to hear your opinions, Chris. This one, I'm probably a little bit more acutely interested in hearing how we're going to come out on this film. The film is going to be mission impossible dead reckoning part one Uh, already pretty lengthy title that has taken up half of our podcast episode (laughs) length is just reading out the title of the film. But we'll be talking about the latest Tom Cruise action-adventure epic uh, here directed by Christopher McQuarrie. After we do that review of that film, a little bit later on, we have a couple of news items about some interesting uh, movies in production that Chris is going to share with us and talk through some of those ideas. And I've also got a couple trailers I want to play for Chris. Chris has not seen of some uh, films coming out soon. That uh, I want to talk and get some early impressions of things that I'm sure we'll be reviewing in the future as the movies come out. But we want to go ahead and get a little a little taste, a little morsel from the trailers and, and see what we might be in store for in the coming months. So that's what we've got planned. Chris, are we ready to take this mission? Do you choose to accept this mission in reviewing Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? Yes, and I'm now running out the door before the message explodes. <laughs> Here we go. Our lives are the sum of our choices. And we cannot escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours is going to cost you. With this, the seventh film in the Mission Impossible franchise, the third to be written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie, it has the unique distinction of being the most expensive Mission Impossible film to date and the most expensive film of Tom Cruise's career at $290 million. So, Alan, do you think number seven was lucky for Mr. Cruise, Mr. McQuarrie, and you as a filmgoer? That is a loaded question for a couple of reasons. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think this is, I think this is a good entertaining movie. Okay. However, I think it's, in my opinion, I think it's the weakest of the three that Cruz and Macquarie have done, meaning the last three movies. And clarification for not long-term podcast listeners, just in case they don't know, you are a fan oh, of the Mission Impossible franchise as a whole. Big okay. fan. I, I was absolutely giddy in the theater going to see the original Brian De Palma uh, original when it came out. Came out of that one a little dumbfounded, a little disappointed, a little confused. It was a very confusing movie. <laughs> um, 
And honestly, after Mission Impossible 2, the John Woo version, I mm-hmm. kind of lost interest because I did not care for that movie much at all. But did J.J. Abrams, number three, controversial. It's go ahead and go ahead and, go ahead and, go ahead and send your, your hate mail. I know people do not necessarily like that installment. That is probably one of my favorites. I just like the style of it. I'll, that is the spy type movie that I want the Mission Impossible movies to be. Then you've got the one that uh, Brad Bird did, which was uh, Ghost, Ghost Protocol, Protocol, which I liked. And then you've got the three Macquarie ones, which I have liked exponentially ratcheting up each one. So I really liked Rogue Nation. I really liked Fallout. That's been my favorite. So this one is a step backwards for me. This one does not fare as well uh, for various reasons. I, I think it is, I think it's the least smart of the Macquarie Mission Impossible movies. And outside of a final 20 minutes that I do think is generally really well executed and entertaining. The rest of the movie, I don't feel like really quite captures the energy and excitement as much as other movies have. I don't feel like there's as many memorable set pieces and action scenes and cool spy moments that you want from a Mission Impossible movie. I, I just didn't get it, and I didn't find it as much. And plus, I just think the movie's a little, a little dumber. It's a little. I think it's from the villain, which we can get into from the some dialogue, some 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 uh, conveniences that play out in the film. It just it's just a little dumber. So, but look, compared to most other action movies that come out throughout the year, other franchises. Look, I still think this is above. This is I'll go see this any day of the week over a. Fast and the Furious franchise movie or Which whatever. you did not see the most recent installment. I did not. I mean, honestly, I haven't seen any of them. But I'm just saying, I I, I will go see this kind of movie sure. all the time. Sure. However, I do feel like it is it is a step backwards. I feel like the fact of that this is a part one hurt it. I think this was over padded and over long and did not need to be a part one. I'd be curious to see how it matches up with a part two. But I think they made I think they made the wrong call with that breaking it up. So anyway, that's where I am. I'm I'm positive, but on the mixed side. I, I wish I was more positive on it, but I definitely had some misgivings with this version of the film. So, Chris, let me leave you at that. I can go into more specifics in a minute, but I want to hear generally your your takeaway and your thoughts. Well, I am not as big a fan of the franchise um, as you are, um, but I am with you as far as we had. Rogue, Na- or Rogue, Rogue Nation, Nation. Rogue mm-hmm. Nation, and then Fallout. Both of those for me kind of like, oh, I I do think these are interesting. These do seem to be building towards something, um, especially the last one. Fallout, yeah. Fallout was just was really, really good. was really impressive. So uh, I was going into this one thing, okay, and I, I kind of agree. It was kind of a lesser than the previous one. Yeah. So unfortunate. That said, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned – Overall, how you felt like some things were kind of dumbed down, whereas I don't feel like they mm-hmm. were that way in Rogue Nation or no. Fallout, whereas there are some conveniences in this film that I just Ugh. don't really, really buy. There's someone who is helpful towards the end of the film that I don't yeah. buy them being that helpful. Nope. And I'm not giving away anything. There's a there's a, a rescue moment um, that's completely contrived and something you would expect in a... Marvel superhero movie or something like, it's like that. I think this film got a little Marvelized mm. both from the lead character, which I'm going to get into a little bit. This okay. is an Ethan hunt. I feel like I don't quite recognize mm. from the other movies. Interesting. And I also think some of the action conveniences are meant a little bit more for laughs, mm. which I did not, is which not is something a, mar- a Marvel-y thing. Yeah. And not something I would expect from this franchise. So yes, okay. that's where I kind of come with. It's a little dumber, you know, so it's a little more, Let's be palatable to the masses and make it less complex a plot. I think the plot was really simple in this thing. I, we need to find a key. Well, we bring the two pieces of the key together. We don't know what it does, but we just got to find the key. And that's what we do for two and a half hours. Well, and what's you know? interesting with that. So <laughs> um, the interesting thing is you come across a plot description for this film and it just says Ethan in IMDb. It says Ethan Hunt, his IMF team must track down a dangerous weapon before it falls into the wrong hands. And you're like, okay, 
which film is this describing? Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty the, generic The fact that it gets but... really generic to me kind of is one of the weaknesses of the film where they just all kind of blend together. Now, that's not saying they're, the action sequences are bad. No, I think they are. They are interesting. Mm. And I think the acting in the film is good. I mean, you've got somebody that came along in Fallout with the character of uh, Rebecca, for, well, Ilsa Fowles. Actually, she came in Rogue for, Nation. Rogue Nation. Sorry, yeah, yeah. For, that's right. Mm-hmm. She was this is the third in movie she's been in right. with them, yeah. Um, so her character, I like that character. I like her as an actress and, you know, she's still just as solid and his team that he has a Ving Rhames and Simon yes. Pegg, like all working together, all doing great. And so it's, it's just something about the simplistic yeah. plot. And the interesting thing too, about that for me was they show you at the beginning of the film, what the deal is. Yeah. They show us as the audience. We know more than like, the characters do. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they're running around the whole movie trying to figure out what we already know. And you're kind of like, wait, I feel like in other films, Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt has been really smart. or He's always mm-hmm. like kind of ahead of the game. And you're like, I kind of don't get why you don't get this. <laughs> well, I don't, I, I don't understand why they're not able to put the pieces together of what they're doing. And then we've also just the Ethan Hunt character. Let me key in on that sure. for a second. Uh, look, I, I'm still going to give my unabashed appreciation for Tom Cruise. Okay. Yeah, look, I still feel like this guy is the ultimate movie star. I'm ultimately intrigued and engaged in anything he does on screen. And I like his Ethan Hunt in this movie. Okay. But I do feel like his Ethan Hunt is a little different than what we've seen. This is an Ethan Hunt that is not the self-confident running into things. And oh, he's, he's running. He, he runs a lot. <laughs> but, you know, there are like three or four moments in this uh, scenes in this film where he's the one saying, I, I don't know how to do this. We can't do this. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. And I like that. Like, I like it being a little more of a human character because I will say in the other installments, he's a little more superhuman in gotcha. his confidence and abilities and just, you know, the rest of the team's like, Oh, Ethan's just going to go do it. He's just, what is he doing? We have no idea. He's just doing something crazy. Now, when he's presented with something crazy, he's just the one saying, uh, I don't know how we're going to do this. And I like that, but it was a little jarring for someone who's kind of been following the series to see the character take a little bit of a shift in tone. I do feel like it's to make it a more, quote entertaining for the audience. I think it's, I think, I think audiences enjoy characters who are not always super confident Mm. and, you know, kind of stumble. And there's a whole sequence with like a little Fiat car that's totally played for laughs for like a really long time. And I'm like, that's odd. I've never (laughs) seen a mission impossible movie have a comedic sequence for an extended for an extended amount of time where the lead character is the one we're kind of laughing comedic at. Comedic action sequence. Yeah. So it's and not it's just like, something funny. Like, well, oh, even, but we're laughing at Ethan Hunt in a right. way too and how he's handling the situation. I'm like, okay, I don't mind it, mm-hmm. but it's different. Yeah, And sure. it is jarring for a series that has been fairly consistent for the last several movies. So anyway, um, I don't mind the, the, the decisions they made with this film, but I, I do feel like it's, it's a little different than what I think people might expect. If you're looking for the same caliber of film that you've had in the last few. Um, but I love all the characters. I think the characters are all still great. I don't think it's a problem with any of the actors. I think they are all spot on. Sure. I do really like the addition of, um, Haley Atwell Hmm. as grace. I think the, I think, I think what she's given to do and her plot devices is in that quote dumb category I mentioned <laughs> where it's like very watered down, simple why she's there, what she's needed to do. But I like her performance as the character grace. I'd really like grace. I just, her role is, can, I mean, can I ask you a question? Yeah. And I'm not as familiar with, I mean, I've seen the mission impossible. I think I've seen all of them. I did sleep to a little bit of Glyph's protocol. Um, <laughs> however, um, something that there again, it, to me struck me kind of as odd and actually telegraphed some things in the movie that I was kind of surprised it did. Has Ethan Hunt ever been practiced at sleight of hand? No, not that I remember. Okay. Yeah. That is with the grace character. That is kind of like a moment they have early on in the film and then plays itself out through the rest of the film. And I was well, kind of like, okay. I'll take that back. We've never seen a Ethan Hunt is doing magic and sleight of hand for people. Of, okay. But in the nature of his work. And if you look back I mean, at all the other films, crafty, there's always got to be this element of, 
I'm sure he's pickpocketed plenty of times. I'm okay. sure he's done things that involve some sense of sleight of hand. Okay. Yeah. It's never been as obvious as they're trying to play it off. In when this it, film. it kind of yeah. bothered me that they were leaning yeah. into it as much because there's a moment later in the film that I won't spoil that, um, I was kind of like, yeah, I never had a doubt that that was going to happen because of how much it was right. set up. So it was. a lot of things are set up. A lot of things are telegraphed. A lot of things were convenience. Um, well, let, let me, let me dig in to the plot a little bit too, because sure. I'm, I'm realizing I've got something I want to say about um, another new addition that I want to compliment, but yeah, okay. go ahead and dig into the plot because it plays a part. In well, that. and I did for people just not familiar as much with the film either. So sure. I mean, this plot does have to do with AI. I yes. think we can go ahead and say that the entity the entity look in on paper. I'm all for the concept. I like the idea of a sentient AI. I mean, we're in a world right now where I think we all believe Chat, GPT that is and everything. very possible yeah, sure, to happen. Sure. I like the, the idea of it being kind of given a name, the entity. That's kind of cool. I like the idea that they don't know what the entity's goal is. We maybe kind of do as an audience because of some of the prologue scenes we have, but they, they as a general, they're, they're, they're painting a biggest worst case scenario picture and going right. with that idea. Um, and the idea that there is a moment in the film, a scene that, where I got honestly excited because I thought, oh, they're going to go really a different direction now when they're realizing that the entity is infecting their computer systems and their work. And they're like, shut everything down, unplug it, got to get disconnected. I'm like, oh, yes, we're going to go the rest of the movie where they're not going to be able to touch tech at all. And they've got to figure out how to do this. I'm like, I love this. And then they did nothing with it the rest <laughs> of the movie. I mean, they're still driving a GPS car, you know, uh, a GPS uh, control car at the end. They're still doing things that are all tech driven. So I feel like there's some missed opportunities with that. I love the concept, but I think they just dumbed it down. Maybe and then, me, me playing devil's advocate. Sure. Maybe that will pay off in part two. It's possible. You're right. You're and right. It is you're possible. saying that mm -hmm. is me definitely playing devil's advocate because I don't, I feel like, like you said in one of your original comments, I feel like this could have been one movie. There was yeah. no really a necessity for making a second movie. And actually, but I will say, um, Luther Stickwell, played by Ving Rhames, after that scene you're mm. talking about where there's, something's going wrong, they're like, uh-oh, entity's, <laughs> entity's mm -hmm. messing with us. He's like, hey, guys, I'm out. I'm yeah. going to go get away with my laptop and see if I can figure out what's going on. I'm out. And then he's gone. Yeah, he just left. And I thought that was interesting. So... You know, I'll give the benefit of the doubt and maybe say there's something to maybe it. part two. Yeah. It's possible. You're right. And, um, but where, where, where that concept dipped into the dumb category <laughs> is there's a scene where they have a meeting at some big party. It's always got to have like disco lights things. and stuff like, 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 a series, like a John Wick type thing. Yeah. They do the same type thing. They always got to go to a party that has these like crazy lights. But they have a meeting with what we believe to be the bad guy, but turns out the bad guy is really kind of a serving the AI villain. And it's like when, when, when we realize that the AI is present in the meeting and it's like all the walls around them turn into these weird patterns of like stuff. It's like, Oh, we're, we're inside the entity right now. I'm like, Okay, this is where you're dipping into the dumb category. It's a little goofy. It's a little over the top, and it's not as smart as what I wanted this movie to be. So, but look, still wildly entertaining. I still feel like, you know, it's worth action. It's worth your action time at the theater if you are a fan of action adventure movies. Yes, it's a good movie. It's just, if you're coming in expecting the quality, I think that you had with the last two, I personally, for me, I feel like it is a step backwards and the marvelization to some degree, a little bit of a fast and furious vein to it and, and just trying to water it down a little bit more, which it didn't need. But anyway, you were mentioning another character. Well, so, I was yeah. willing to give some credit to, um, he unfortunately is kind of playing the henchman for the entity, but for what he was able to do in the film, I really liked him. I think his presence oh, yeah. was really good on screen. And that is uh, Cy Morales playing yeah. Gabriel. Hey, he's got a good villain, villain named Gabriel. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, he was good. And he, he was good. I'm disappointed that they didn't make him more, I guess, give him a little bit more to do, make him more urgent, make him actually in some ways, make him a little smarter, I guess yeah. as well. well yeah. And yeah, that's um, what it is. Kind of. I kind of had a um, rolling my eyes moment too, where there's a moment in the film where he gives out a, I don't know whether I think he says 
hunt, just like con from the Star Trek mm. movie. <laughs> well, yeah. And that I was kind of like, seriously, like, but yeah. you know, I don't there again, I don't blame Asai Morales. I think he's a great actor and I thought he was really good in this. I just wish, I just wish he'd been treated better. Um, so, and yeah. actually somebody else, somebody mm. new who I thought had good presence. I was a little confused as far as, um, sometimes the costume designer, the makeup hair and makeup they did with her. Yeah. Um, but the, it was a henchman villain called Paris who was yeah. actually working with Gabriel and it's Palm Clementif, who is mm-hmm. normally Mantis in the guardians films. Yeah. So I thought she had some possibility of being interesting, kind of like, another franchise in the bond films, how you have like a hench woman yeah. mm-hmm. and how they are like really smart, but they, you know, they just, I don't know. They can usually kick your butt very easily. Well, and I think yeah. again, a little wasted. But. Well, yeah, that's in, 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 it's both good and bad in that the mission impossible movies, I don't think I've ever had to rely on a colorful, um, uh, unique uh, henchman villain yeah, type not of thing. Like the That's Bond never films. been their right. thing. That's the I Bond you. thing. But you sure. have Odd Job. You had uh, <laughs> Jaws. You had all these people that were like the henchmen, the kind of crazy, had some weird elements to them. Yes, they introduced Paris, and that's kind of the role she's playing. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind it. I liked it. It's just, again, it was another example of that kind of broadening the series out to be sure. a little more, let's hit all the quadrants of demographics we can to appease people. And I don't know if it, it, it wasn't needed. It wasn't necessary. It was okay. And but like you, I do feel like there are some character choices late in the film that I don't buy and I thought were way too convenient um, with that as well. So, yeah, uh, look, it's a... It's entertaining enough. It's fun oh. enough. It's very well well made. Right. I will go on record as saying I think the uh, train sequence at the end and the structure of that sequence, the conceit that the uh, uh, main two characters find themselves in, in the last uh, action se- sequence, was very creative and uh, in- entertaining, highly entertaining. Kind of, and it brought me back to the film to have a little bit more of a a, a more positive out, uh, opinion of it at, by the end of the film. But um, but as I look back beyond that, outside of that ending sequence, I can't really remember any other big set piece action sequence that really stands out. I mean, I remember the Fiat car race, <laughs> car chase, right? Which was fine, was okay, was entertaining. But beyond that, what else happened? You know, I mean, sure. that's the thing. And and I never want to walk out of a movie like this wondering what else happened in this movie, you know? so Well, and I'll say too, having seen Fast 10, which came out this year, which has a lot of action sequences, but I yeah, did not like that film. Mm-hmm. And it was actually shorter than this film. Yeah. It was 146 minutes. This one is 163 and I, I will say, and you know, that's people take a drink because that's one thing I always complain about usually is running time, especially in films where I'm not, you know, that bothers me. And in this film, I was never, I felt like it did click along. I felt yeah. like it was well paced for being 163 minutes. It didn't, it didn't bother me. I felt like it actually, I felt like it actually moved. So that's, that's saying something where I can see Fast 10, like that's all they're relying on is just simply one-liners and yeah. car chases and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I, I called out, you know, I said other performances. I thought, I thought Haley Atwell was grace. I really liked her character. I just kind of felt like her role in the film was a little, was a little, was very stereotypical. Again, it's that same, Oh, we meet someone who, um, has some skills and kind of matches Ethan on a few areas. And now somehow she's now wrapped into the plot against her will. And she has to kind of follow along and then make some decisions about her own role. It's, it's very stereotypical. It's her role was not necessary for this film at all either, but they needed kind of another balance. You know, Rebecca Ferguson, we had as Ilsa. She's always good. I think she kind of, kind of an interesting arc in the film and, um, curious how that's going to play out in the last film. If it does at all, no, it may not. Vanessa Kirby is the white widow. Mm-hmm. I like her character. Which she I was think introduced she was, in fallout. Yeah. Correct? She was in the okay. last one. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, uh, Isaiah Morales and Palm Clementif, uh, Henry, uh, Zerny as Kittredge, which is interesting. Kittredge 
we have not seen since the first Brian De Palma. Okay. Mission I was going to ask about yeah. that because he is, that character is big. I feel like I've seen that guy in films, but it's not somebody I wouldn't yeah. know his name. So he was not the original dude and he hasn't been in another film. Like uh, he his, was in the original movie. Right. Right. But played by a different actor. No. Same oh, he, actor. Okay. So that's it him. is the original. One. Oh, yeah, okay. But then him. he's been, he's been gone. He's been gone time. from two through okay. six. So interesting. Yeah, He came back. So you, I mean, huh. he was the head mm-hmm. of the IMF back then. Gotcha. He still is now, but you know, you just never really had any encounters with him. So it was kind of, it was nice to see so that, that role. See, come okay. Back. And I'll give that. That's a credit right there. I'll say to the franchise is that in a way you could say that's fan service, but it's actually, there's a reason. So I, I think that's, well, I, I think don't think reason, it is fan service. I think it's actually pretty clever about how they yeah. did do a callback to the very first movie. So I, I that's, think, that's, and that's I cool. think the, the, the rationale for him being there has to do with the very end moment of this movie mm-hmm. with the grace character. Got you. I think that's why he's there. That's why they felt the need to bring that role back is because there is a, decision being made with right. that character and involves so anyway, gotcha. There, there's a reason for it, but it was kind of a nice tie together as well. So look overall, it's, it's good. It's entertaining. It's well, well made, well crafted. I just feel like the plot scripting was weaker, less, less intelligent, um, more marvelized more than I would have liked more fast and furious, uh, conveniences. And it seemed to be a lot more focus on just chasing and running and shooting than there was on intelligence. You know, I mean, that's the thing with the mission impossible movies. Uh, there's always a sense of having to really think through how to resolve and tackle certain situations. We had little moments of it, but most of it just ended up being, we just have to chase and run and get this. And it's like, that's, that's not really what these mission impossible movies have really been about as much. Um, so that's my take on it, but I still think it was, a, I don't think it was an entertaining movie. I mean, it's the least of the, the three McCory movies. It's less than me than the the J.J. Abrams movie, just because I do love that movie. This is probably on that um, Rogue Nation or not um, Ghost Protocol level, maybe at that level for me. Okay. And then one and two are. I love one, but it is it is it is a tough movie. It's not it's just not as entertaining as ones have been since then. And then two is just at the bottom. I don't like that <laughs> one. So. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll say you know closing thought for me was there's a a bejeweled key that's an access key that comes apart in two pieces Mm -hmm. that plays a pretty central role in this film. And uh, I just feel like it was a missed opportunity because Ving Ram, Ving Rams being like the coordinator, sometimes when they're running around trying to get stuff. And at one point they had both the keys and if they would have codenamed them roast and beef, he could have said, we have the meats. And then it would have been like an Arby's commercial. So missed chance for tie in there. But oh, you're saying Ving Rams, right? I understand. He does the, we, we have the meats. Yes. So he's so the one that does that voice. Yes. In the commercials. Yes. And you're saying if the two parts of the keys <laughs> were named code named roast and beef and you when put they them put together, together roast beef, you're like, we, we have, have the meats. Yeah. It was a long way to go for that. I was joke, gonna say, yeah. But I'm committed was, to okay. it. <laughs> good. Go, no, go actually, for it, I guess, you know, like you're talking about with the car, with the Fiat, with the jokey nature, if they had somehow like they would have never done that unless Arby's paid him a bunch of money. I was say, and Arby's, the film was two hundred ninety million dollars to bring it back around to that. Ar- so. Arby's has to save this movie right. by giving it uh, part of the budget. So yeah, I'll, I'll be curious. I am still curious to see. And actually, okay, I like this movie. Okay, but closing, if part two doesn't somehow really kind of. If it's not vastly different, if they don't yeah. have some bring back their like intelligence factor of fallout, I'll be kind of, I'll be sad. What was the other part one movie that we had recently? Oh goodness. What was it? It was, I mean, oh, my memory is just killing me today. What was the movie just in the last few months where it ends and a lot of people didn't even realize it was oh, a part one? Well, there's the Spider-Verse. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was it. Okay. That was it. That was it. The spider verse. Gotcha. Yeah. The whole part one, part two. I, I don't, I don't know if it's working yet. Like that spider verse. Yeah. Spider verse. We both really liked. It was a good movie, but it's just, it's tough. I, I, it, to, I don't feel like you can fully review the film until you've seen the second part True. now, which is tough. 
And I don't know if I can recommend to people, hey, you, you got to go see part one of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. It's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're going to have to wait a year and a half to see the next one. But, you know. Um, That's better than three or four years. So. No, absolutely. Look, I'm, yeah, the part one, part two would kill you if it was a multi-year wait time. I, I know that they do this intentionally to have it within a year, maybe right. 12 to 16 months, somewhere in that neighborhood afterwards. Uh, and this one, you know, I will say of all the ways a part one could have ended, it ended relatively comfortably. I mean, it wasn't one where I, I think people were like mad, you know, the way it ended. It ended right. at a decent natural ending point, but it obviously there is a whole nother story to tell now. So I, I, I think it worked okay. I think it worked all right. All right. Well, that is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. It is out in theaters. It is, of course, starring Mr. Tom Cruise, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Chris and I are favorable on it, um, but also feeling like it is a step backwards from some of the more recent Mission Impossible movies, mainly because of some conveniences, a little dumbing down of some plot and characters and um, and even dialogue. I even mentioned some of the scenes of dialogue. I just thought <laughs> were way on the nose. Can I just get back on this really quick? Sure. Just my, sure. Anytime you have a scene where a team of people are talking to someone and they are explaining something and it's so choreographed where one person says one part of a line and then the next team member on the other side of the room picks up and continues a line. And then it's like, no, did they practice this before? Was this a <laughs> rehearsed thing? Or that's the kind of conveniences and kind of plot dumbing down that just annoys me. Cause it's not how people really would talk in those situations. But gotcha. there were like three or four moments of scenes of dialogue like that, that just, I just don't feel like I've ever seen in these movies and it, it, it bothered me. So that's why I'm stepping away from giving this a high recommendation to just say it's a tepid recommendation, but it is still a recommendation of a good, good entertaining movie to see. All right. Did we cover it? Yep. I think we got it. That is it. Mission impossible dead reckoning part one. So Chris, let's take a quick break. We come back. We're going to uh, hit a couple of news items and we're going to hit a couple of trailers. Going to do a little smorgasbord of news items for you. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll be right back with Foot Candle Films here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Chris and I had our review of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 earlier in the show where we were both positive, but less positive than maybe we'd hoped to be and less positive than the last couple Mission Impossible movies for various reasons. But anyway, let's go into talking about some new things, Chris. We always like to... The first part of the show, we talk about a movie that's already come out and we dissect it and discuss it. Now we flip over and talk about things that have not come out yet, but we are speculating on or intrigued by. So we're going to talk about a couple of movie projects and I've got a couple of movie trailers to tease uh, about films coming out. So Chris, what have you got to share first? I think you got a couple of news items you want to throw at us, right? Yes. So Greta Gerwig, she of the, the director of the Barbie movie that's coming out. Also did uh, Lady Bird and did uh, Little Women. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well thought of director. She, well, not she, I guess, but her agent order has announced that she will be directing two Narnia movies for Netflix. Two Chronicles of Narnia movies. Correct. Which, you know, you may recall Disney did this from about, I think, 2005 to 2010. They came out with three different films and then poof, kind of disappeared. There were three of those? I believe so. I mean, I think you're right. I just, I'm, I remember the first one kind of had some some popularity when it came out, but mm-hmm. then what they yeah, did, Prin- it, Prince Caspian and then voyage of the Dawn Treader. See, so, I don't remember that one. And so out I think all. it was, yeah, it would, I think you're not the only one. It was kind of like a sliding diminishing returns. Yeah. And so then it just kind of stopped, which there are seven books. Hmm. So there was the, there was a, so it just hasn't been a terribly popular, like successful movie franchise. Cause I mean, you know, normally if you've got seven books and you know, it's hitting that, yeah, it's hitting that Harry Potter sweet spot of you know being kind of for little younger audiences that could be skewed towards, but also appealing to older. But they only made three, and the last two I barely remember even having been released. That doesn't bode well. But you're saying Greta Gerwig is now doing 
What what were the well, movies for? Yes. Okay. So I can't find that they're saying is she redoing some of them. It's just she will make two Narnia movies for Netflix. It doesn't really say whether she's going to redo Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, which was the first movie that Disney did. So it doesn't really say. I couldn't find I couldn't find that information, but just that she's she's going to be doing two. So I'll be interested to see is she going to pick up where Disney left off, which she could, or is she going to or is she going to redo them? So okay. So according, Chris, because I um, yes, my intern sitting, our intern sitting here right <laughs> next to me, and I just I kind of just motioned to them and say, hey, look this up really quick. And so they they did. Awesome. And this is why I'm so thankful we have the intern here for the show. Um, I am just waiting for the intern to uh, produce the information in front of my face. <laughs> I have inquired for the information. The information has not shown up. The intern's running a little slow at the oh. moment. I don't know why. But what I'm seeing is that Netflix is developing, this is in general, right. developing a new live action adaptation of the Chronicles of Narnia. Sounds to me that they're starting it over. They're doing a whole new thing. I wouldn't be surprised because for it to go from Disney yeah. to Netflix, they're I would not assume gonna pick they up have with to kind of four, uh, like, yeah. move on. Right. It's going to be fresh new. And all the actors, which they did use some of the, they did use the actors in the first three, they would be way too old now. So I would assume, yeah, it's just going to kind of be like a re a retelling. Yeah. And it's supposedly, it sounds like too, that, um, Prince Caspian, which was the second one yes. that Disney released. Disney yes. actually did the first line, Witch in the wardrobe and then Prince Caspian. Right. I think they dropped the Narnia franchise. They may have still released the third one under Disney, but they basically shopped it out. Gotcha. And Netflix is now is the one that stepped in and say, hey, yeah, we'll buy it. We'll do it. And now they're going to redo it. Now, what's curious is, okay, so um, Greta Gerwig says sign on to do two of them. Right. Now, I'm curious if that means that it's just that's the first two and they'll see if they continue from there or if they're planning on having different directors doing different installments of it to kind of mix it up. I don't know. That'd be kind of interesting to see too. Yeah. I mean, interesting. Maybe it's like the Narnia curse. If you make films of it, you can only get three films in and then it dies again. I, I don't know. So they're going to go ahead and just plan on two and just leave it at that. And so. that Cause the first film Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe that Disney released was wildly popular. Um, it did well. It did. Okay. It did well enough to justify sequel, but right. it also did not, I think the, it was the ones I, after that. It did not meet expectations off. on that first movie that I think they were hoping for. They were hoping for a Lord of the Rings, <laughs> big, 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 uh, the first Lord of the Rings movie, um, to a fellowship of the ring type of type of money. And they didn't get that, but it was good enough to justify a sequel, but they didn't put a lot of money in the sequel, which is why again, Prince Caspian kind of tanked. So right. yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Look, as a kid, I loved the line, the witch in the wardrobe. I remember there was a TV the cartoon uh, TV movie version. I remember a BBC version of the okay. Chronicles there was actually Narnia. an animated version back in the seventies. Oh wow, I did not see that. that one. I remember and loved. That was great, and I fell in love with that the book and started reading the books in the series and really enjoyed it. And I know, yes, the BBC did a version, you know, uh, a few decades ago as well. It was good, um, but yeah, it has been a challenging one to get on the big screen. So. Um, I'm, and now it's still not going to be on the big screen. It's going to be on Netflix. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. But look, Greta Gerwig, of course, we're waiting to see how Barbie is going to turn out next week when it comes out. All indications are, I mean, she's she's knocking them out of the park film-wise and doing some great work. I was coming into her own as a real filmmaker, which is awesome. I, um, I will say, just because I do like her as a filmmaker, I like the films that she's made, and she's you know doing different things. She did a period piece with Little Women. She has, Now she's coming out with Barbie. She did Lady Bird. I I kind of wish it was only doing a movie of Narnia for Netflix <laughs> and not to, because I just hate to see somebody that's got all this talent. I mean, not that, you know, Christopher Nolan did, you know, three Batman movies and it's, but you just, you want them to be able to kind of like just go out and go wild and crazy and make all these non like franchise type things. So, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'm interested to see her take on Narnia for sure. Yeah. It's saying here, Greta Gerwig signed on for, is signed on for the first two movies two. in the new franchise. They have not said what's going to happen past that. So whether it's, yeah, Greta Gerwig is, does great and they have her keep doing those or if it's uh, going to change up and do other people. But so, they are intending to continue making them, hopefully to try to 
knock out the whole series. Gotcha. Yeah. So if we believe the information the intern finally was able to pull up, it is starting from the beginning. Yep. That's okay. that's the way it is reading right now. Gotcha. So she would be doing the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, basically. Gotcha. Okay. That. So yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's interesting. That's good. Um, anxious to see about that. Chris, let me turn your attention over to a trailer that was just released this week. Okay. Um, we have talked about this film uh, in our news section in the past, and it is a film that we were, I think I remember, a little suspicious of, maybe curious, like, is this the right movie to be making? Uh, it is a prequel to the very, very classic Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Ah. Um what was the name of the, uh, what was the actual name of the Tim Burton version with Johnny Depp? Um, is it just, I think it was Willy. was it Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Or is it Charlie Factory? and the Chocolate Factory? Charlie was, you're right. It was Charlie and the Chocolate Which Factory. Which is the official name that I think the movie, the Gene Water is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Right. Did I get that uh, right? I don't know, <laughs> but I think oh you're gosh. right. The Tim Burton one is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Right. Cause it yeah. was more, a little closer hued to the actual original Roald Dahl book. Um, anyway, regardless, we're getting a prequel and it's just called Wonka because that's kind of what you do. You make a prequel, you make it a super short name of the character and that becomes the name of the prequel. Um, this is a movie that is starring, uh, a Mr. Uh, Timothy Chalamet as aforementioned Wonka. It is from director Paul King, who is the director of the Paddington movies. Uh, he made both Paddington and Paddington too. Good films, enjoyable films. Paddington 2 was especially yeah. was great. He's been a producer. The producer of this film has also been a producer of Harry Potter, Fantastic Beast, Paddington. Uh, so they're in the right world to be developing this and making this. Um, but it is Timothy Chalamet as, as Wonka. I'm going to play the trailer for you just to see. Okay. For those of you, obviously, you're listening on audio. You're not seeing videos. I uh, invite you to queue it up and, and check out the trailer on your own. Uh, I'll just let you know the voice you will hear at the very end is a uh, Mr. Hugh Grant. So uh, I will explain what role he's playing in case you don't know from what not being able to see the trailer. But uh, let's just listen to the trailer and then we'll talk about it here afterwards. I've spent the past seven years traveling the world perfecting my craft. You see, I'm something of a magician, inventor, and chocolate maker. So quiet up and listen down. Nope, scratch that, reverse it. Mr. Wonka, I can see you're a man of great ingenuity. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? Dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. Many people have come here to sell chocolate. They've all been crushed by the chocolate cartel. You can't get a shop without selling chocolate. And you can't sell chocolate without a shop. No daydreaming. What are we going to do? So, Chris. <laughs> yes. That is the trailer for Wonka. Uh, does this elicit any thoughts or opinions from you from your first blush with it? I think that movie stands to make a lot of money if it's not terrible. Why do I say? Why do I say that? Yeah. Most movies do stand a chance to make a lot of money if they're well, not terrible. I mean, that's generally the um, idea of box office. Yeah, it but. is very smart marketing. It's coming out at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people watch the Willy Wonka movie that plays a lot. I mean, at Christmas time, uh, you know, all the candy, candy at Christmas time. You know, it, it just in a feel good movie, the whole family can go see. That's going to have a little bit of story, so it's familiar, but mm-hmm. yet going to issue like. It just seems like it is hitting all the notes that it needs to to be something that's going to make a lot of money. Um, I guess one of the things you have to focus on is Chalamet. Yeah. Because you've had legendary people play Wonka. You had Gene mm-hmm. Wilder. You had Johnny Depp. And now you have Chalamet. Can't really tell from the trailer. At some parts, I feel like he's not... Which is maybe good. I, some parts, of, some parts, I feel like he's maybe leaning a little too heavily on like Gene Wilder. Yeah. Um, but that's who I guess Wonka could be is that's his like quirky, weird personality. Yeah, I, and in other parts, he's just playing, he seems to be playing very straight, very like normal dude. So it, again, know. it's hard to tell from a trailer. Sure. I'm not buying his performance in the trailer. Ah. 
But I mean, honestly, I don't feel like that looks good. But what I hope is, is what you just alluded to is that the Wonka persona that he puts on this very stagey presence where the, it sounds very scripted and it sounds very over the top dialogue. I, I hope that's actually a performance in the gotcha. movie, you know, and not really him because I, I don't see Chalamet pulling it off. Uh, I see him trying to evoke Gene Wilder. I see him trying to evoke that the whimsical and it, it's not working for me, but I kind of hope there's something else to that in the movie itself. So we'll see. I'm going to hold judgment till then, but the trailer worked for me wonderfully, everything except Chalamet. Well, I think uh, because I think it has that Paddington vibe where it's all very, very fun, very whimsical, very colorful. And I think, I think this movie is going to succeed financially and, and success wise where Charlie and the chocolate factory, the Tim Burton version did not that movie opened big. People went to go see it and then they were immediately turned off because they didn't like Johnny Depp's performance in it. The movie was a lot darker. Mm-hmm. It had some much, much stranger moments to it. It was much more like the book. I don't think this threat, this movie is going to go that direction. This movie is going to be all about fun, good, uh, heartwarming, you know, all of that. And it's going to, it's going to reach audiences. So when I think it's interesting, you mentioned in the setup about it being some, for some people that were involved with Harry Potter, I feel like, and Paddington both, because I feel like the production design yeah. and the colors and everything do remind me of Paddington. And then a lot of the effects mm-hmm. and a lot of the things you see in the trailer are very magic oriented, which yeah. reminds you a lot of Harry Potter. Nice. So it's kind of combining two things that you're like, they, okay, they knew what they were doing like in sure the trailer <laughs> by putting up the big logo of from the director of Paddington and then from the producer of Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. They know what they're doing. They're, they're wanting you to kind of go ahead and associate this film with both of those franchises that people love. So, um, I do think this movie will be very successful. I'm intrigued to see it, but I'm very, very curious about Chalamet in this role. So uh, we will see. Agreed. And I think at least without having seen it, but I think we said this way back when it was originally announced and we were kind of talking about it. At least it's not just a re a third retelling of Charlie and the chocolate factory, no, no, yeah. because this is a before how he became kind of in the Willy well, Wonka character that we know. So at least at least they are trying to do something a little different with and with any story. prequel of a big franchise or big popular film. I'm always, we're always skittish of the, how much are you going to lean into name dropping and scene dropping to kind of make all these allusions to the original movie, which brings us to Hugh Grant. Well, so Hugh Grant at the end is the Oompa Loompa. I mean, look, you got to introduce the Oompa Loompas I, that, <laughs> Because that's always a big question mark. Even the question asked in the original movie is, how did you meet the Oompa Loompas? Like, how did you? So again, you're doing a prequel backstory. You got to introduce them. Uh, Hugh Grant playing the Oompa Loompa was not on my bingo card for 2023. But, you know, um, so be it. I think it's gonna be hilarious. And he was in Paddington, too. Oh, yeah. Um, So I guess maybe and he was a wonderful villain in Paddington, too. (laughs) So I wonder if maybe he has a relationship with the director. And he's like, you know, what would be cool. (laughs) So I I saw an interview with Paul King, the director talking about the decision to cast Hugh Grant as this. He said, yes, this Oompa Loompa is going to be uh, he, he's a smart ass. He is a, a cranky little smart ass. He's like, and I only thought huge grant. It was like the <laughs> only person I thought of that could play this one. Right. So, nice. um, uh, yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, I'm looking forward to the movie. I just, I hope Chalamet can pull it off. I hope Chalamet can give us a really great memorable version of the character and not just be a, I'm just saying the lines and I'm making the facial expressions to try to evoke Gene Wilder and, and, pull it off that way. So we will see. All right, Chris, you got a second uh, news item for us, I believe, right? I do. And this one we have talked about a while ago when they just announced they were going to do this movie, but now we have a little bit more details on it. They are making a Barney movie, Mattel, the same company that's has made the Barbie movie. They have the licensing rights and things to Barney, the big purple the big dinosaur. Purple dinosaur. Yes. The purple, I love purple and green. To uh, be the, fair. the I love you, you love me. Yes. Guy. Okay. Now that song will be in my head for the rest of the day. <laughs> You're Thank welcome. you. Yep. Um, so Daniel Kaluuya is the producer of said Barney movie. And that had been announced that he was going to be involved with it. So I don't know <laughs> if he's going to be in it, but he's definitely a producer. Daniel Kaluuya, uh, he of Get Out. Yes. Uh, nope. Yeah. Um, 
He was the Judas voice. and the Black Messiah. Yep, and he was the voice of uh, Spider Punk in the Across the Spider Verse. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he is, you know, working with this Barney the movie, and it has been announced that, according to executives with Marvel, that the movie will be inspired by Charlie Kaufman. Hmm. Yes, and they're saying that it is going to kind of lean into being more adult, surrealistic, and an A twenty four type film. So, oh, and Spike Jones is another name that was name dropped. Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman, be they're, more of a. They're H- not involved no, in no, the no, movie. No, 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 it's just it's more like trying inspiration. to give you an inspiration. Yeah. Like, mm. but they said it's not like it's going to be. It's not going to be rated R. So it's not going to be like a death to smoochy movie where some kid's character goes around and is like killing people. No, 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 not that. But they're just saying it's kind of leaning into the feeling of millennial angst and how things are different now than they were when they were growing up. So. I don't know. I am. I am curious. Originally, you know, Barney the dinosaur, not the least, <laughs> not the least interested in a Barney dinosaur yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. But Daniel Kaluuya, and now these things that are saying some of their inspirations. With I am definitely curious about this film. So we shall we shall see. But like I said, it's really a play. I think to get adults interested in it. But it's not going to be R rated. It's still you know it would just focus more on like trials and tribulations of being a 30 something who maybe grew up with Barney. So maybe it's like the storyline they take is it was a part of their childhood. And now this dinosaur has disappeared and they're wondering what's become of them. Who knows? So is that, so I wonder if that's kind of the direct, I mean, I'm kind of curious. We're talking so the Mattel universe. <laughs> the Televerse. Yes. The Televerse is all about making movies that are using old uh, uh, IP, old IP mm-hmm. intellectual property, right. but appealing to a broader, older audience with a little more subversive view of it. Because that seems to be where Barbie's going with it. Barbie's obviously is, I'm sure they're counting on young girls that are that love Barbie dolls to come to the movie, but they are also expecting adults to come because of the uh, though, uh, yeah, because of the, I don't want to say subver- subversive is not the word. The more uh, adult theme take on the properties. It sounds like that's kind of the um, direction I'm going with Barney so too. The new MCU, I guess, the Mattel Cinematic Universe. Right. So here are some other projects that oh, have also got other ones lined up. Oh boy! Yes. Okay. okay here's is another. Rock and sucking robots. One of them, really. Okay. We have a magic eight ball horror comedy. <laughs> we have a J.J. Abrams directed Hot Wheels film. We have Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie produced and starring Mr. Vin Diesel. And then something that I've never heard of this toy, all these other things I've heard of. um, Tom Hanks is understood to be attached to a movie featuring Major Matt Mason, which is an action figure produced in the 1960s that was supposedly inspiration for Toy Story's Buzz Lightyear. So um, kind of like a real life version Mm -hmm. of a toy. So. That is the new MCU, the Mattel Cinematic Universe that mm. is being laid out for us. Right. Alan Jackson looks a little concerned. Well, okay. And, and I, should, I should wipe that level of concern off my face because <laughs> here's the thing. The two movies have been kind of fleshed out at this point, it sounds like. Barbie obviously yes. comes out next week. Sounds like Barney is at least in the... It'll be the next one going into production. Uh, pre-production right now stages. Right. And they seem to have an interesting take on the film. Barbie, I think, is going to be an interesting take on that character. So I should not sit here and scoff at these other ones because maybe they're all going to be just as unique of takes on these toys as as these first two. Who knows? I don't know. Did you say Vin Diesel was Rock'em Socket Robots? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and J.J. Abrams was Hot Doing Wheels. Doing Hot Wheels, which the only thing... I think maybe we had talked about, we didn't know anybody attached to it, but I think we did talk about there was going to be a Hot Wheels movie. That to me sounds dumb. However, mm. I like Mr. Abrams. So, Well, look, I would have thought um, the idea of doing Speed Racer would have been a kind of, quote, dumb movie, but then right. you attach the Wachowskis to it. And their visual style. And you actually, I, I like that movie. I thought that was a really fun movie. And I'm like, all right, so now you're telling me J.J. Abrams, who generally I like. He yeah. has kind of turned me off in recent years with Rise of Skywalker. Did not do well. I don't hold that against him. Uh, I hold some of it against him. <laughs> I mean, I don't um, like that movie either. But... Yeah, I hold some of it against okay. him. 
But I even just finished in the first pre- section talking about how his Mission Impossible movie is one of my favorites. And I like the style he put in. So like him doing a, a, a car movie, kind of playing off the success of Fast and Furious, but making it maybe a little more, a little more broad, family friendly. You know, uh, I don't know. That could be that could be fun too. We'll see. Yeah, it'd be all right. The Mattel Cinematic Universe. Very yes. interesting. All right, Chris, I got last thing to show here. Uh, this is a second and final trailer I'm going to share where uh, Wonka we had talked about and we knew a lot about and we had shared this one. We do not. And I also like the fact that we've talked about three things, movies in a row that are all a little more family, uh, broader, can appeal to younger people, films, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Then we had um, uh, uh, Wonka and then we had this uh, Barney movie, maybe, you know. This one, I'm going in a different direction. This is this is this is uh, out of that universe. Okay. This is a movie called Corner Office. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Okay. I just wanted you to watch the movie, the trailer, and tell me if you feel like this movie uh, has anything for you at all or not. Here okay. We go. Hello, Orson. We try to think about the floor. I had gotten used to being one of the leaders in my last job. I was determined to build up the same position at work. That's how the coffee machine works. This is how the blinds work. Whenever anyone looked at me, I fired off a broad smile. A smile disarms your opponent and makes them doubt their own enmity. I stuck to my schedule when I first discovered the room. Is that Chris? Yes. Interested? Yeah. Um, it looks very interesting. Kind of like uh, something we just referenced, Charlie Kaufman. Um, looks like kind of a Charlie Kaufman-esque type take. If Charlie Kaufman were to direct a feature-length version of an episode of Severance. Yes. I think it would look something like that, starring mm-hmm. John Hamm. Yeah. Um, that could have been the pitch. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I am interested. Something that is so heavily based on like a specific premise, at least we think so, being laid out in the trailer, it is interesting to see if it can maintain mm-hmm. that interest and illusion in that idea for a full you know, 90 minutes or however long it's yeah. going to run. So, But I'm interested, definitely. Yeah, for, for those who maybe weren't able to quite tell as much from, the, from just the audio of the trailer, it, it is John Hamm. Starring in this film, uh, directed by uh, Joaquin Bach, who I'm not familiar with. I'm not either. Um, but an award-winning director, I'm just not sure what he won um, particularly. But I do know it kind of throws that up in the uh, the trailer. Mm-hmm. But it's basically it looks to be a very, uh, very rigid, very straight and narrow employee joining a company and kind of having some contempt for coworkers. But then he discovers a kind of quote magical corner office that. Only he can see, maybe, and others can't. Well, that's where it gets very. Yeah, it gets a little weird. Which is good. I'd rather. Yeah, sure. I'd rather go in with that open weirdness about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm. Uh, I love this style movie. I love the show Severance. Yes, this does look a little like Severance from what we can tell. But look, I, I love it. So I'm like, please give it to me now. <laughs> I like John Hamm. I love when John Hamm gets to do something. Uh, outside of the madman uh, persona, you know, I, I love the fact that John Hamm is doing comedy and doing creative, interesting work and doing weird characters. I like that because he could have just leaned into being a romantic lead on rom-coms or he could have leaned into an action franchise, but no, he's doing like interesting work. He, he's, you know, he did uh, the baby. Fletch- Fletch lives. Fletch lives. He did Baby Driver with uh, uh, the Edgar Wright movie as a kind of a almost like a mob, not a mobster, but like a criminal, you yeah. know, and just kind of a sleazy guy. And I don't know, just I like his choices. I like where he's going and what he's doing with his career. So um, I'm very intrigued. I like John Hamm. I like the style movie. I like the look of the movie. Uh, I am ready. And uh, <laughs> uh, interesting that it, I think also in the trailer it said something about. Uh, it was a selection of Tribeca in 2022. So I guess it did play a film festival circuit. Didn't hear anything. Yeah. That, so that does worry me a little bit. A little now concerning. it's coming out, you know, 2023. So 
At least I think it's 2023. Well, it's August. It's okay, like August. August 4th. It comes out in two weeks. Interesting. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's coming to movie theaters, but I mean, it's not going to come to a lot of movie theaters. Hmm. Um, I mean, this is one where, yes, I want it to be, I want it to be successful, but I'd also like for it to come online as quickly as possible so I can see it because it will not come to our hometown on its own. I'm sure. Um, uh, Joaquin Bach, the, the director, he won an Oscar for best short film back in 2010 for the new tenants. Um, so anyway, I think this might be his first feature length film. Okay. Possibly. I'm looking to see if that's true. He's done a lot of, uh, videos, music videos. He's done a lot of short films, but looks to be the first feature length film is corner office. So, okay. Yeah. Very interested in this film. That was one that just, I don't know how I, Stumbled across this trailer, but as soon as I saw it, I'm like, yes, check, <laughs> count me in. Where sure. do I buy a ticket? I'm ready. Okay, Chris. Well, I think that is done with our news segment. So we talked Barney. We talked Wonka. We talked uh, Greta Gerwig, Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. We talked John Hamm, Corner Office. And, of course, our Dead Reckoning Mission Impossible review earlier in the episode. Lots of things for people to respond to. Lots of things people can engage in conversations with us about. If anybody has any comments about any of the news items we discussed or their own thoughts on the latest Mission Impossible movie, how can they get a hold of us to talk about them? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. We're on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing and leaving short reviews. If you like what you're listening to right now, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends or whatever service you receive your favorite podcast from to help us reach new listeners. Don't call us in the middle of the show, though. Don't do that. That's <laughs> yes. <what> don't. <laughs> yeah. See, somebody was already ready to they give us some so feedback excited. and talk. I, I'll catch you afterwards. Just leave a voicemail. So. But we're always yeah, trying to reach new listeners. Um, I will give a shout out to some that I recently uh, talked to recently, Cooper and Melissa Riley of Boone, North Carolina. They recently were talking to me about an episode they'd listened to, I believe, I think maybe the Spider-Verse episode, not sure. But I'm always trying to reach new listeners, so uh, we appreciate you spreading the word. Speaking of spreading the word, the lineup is not officially out, but it soon will be for the 2023 Foot Candle Film Festival, September 15th through the 24th. Here in Western North Carolina, in Hickory, North Carolina, please, if you're going to be in the area, consider coming to see it. It's going to be fun. Probably not by the time this episode drops, but shortly thereafter, within a week or so, um, we should have the lineup up. So check it out. Yes. That means I've still got a lot of work to do (laughs) to get that done. But yes, we will have it done. We'll have it ready. Hey, Real quick, also, you mentioned a a listener that uh, had a conversation with or got some feedback on. I I want to throw out something to one as well. Absolutely. I want to say that uh, our apologies to any confusion Uh that our listener Elliot might have experienced a few months ago, we reviewed the film barbarian. Got you, which we discussed the film. We both liked this horror film. We talked about the twists and turns in the film and uh, things that really worked for us. Got you. Uh, our listener, Elliot sought out said movie and watched it and did not at all understand our review of this film because it was very, very different than what he experienced. And he huh. was surprised. Come to find out, unfortunately, he's watching a film called Barbarians, Ah, a very different film. Okay. Not at all the same. (laughs) That's what we reviewed. Okay. He has since we have kind of reconciled and figured that out with him. He has gone back and watched Barbarian, and now he is echoing. He He echoes what (laughs) our review is. So I apologize for that review. We should have enunciated maybe a little carefully during our review. It was the singular version of Barbarian we were reviewing, not Barbarians. Now, what are we going to do if they come out with a sequel to that film and called it is Barbarians. called Barbarians? Uh, that's going to be very, very confusing. <laughs> we'll, we'll deal with that at that time. But our apologies, Elliot. I hope you enjoyed, I hope you enjoyed both films. I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about Barbarians. I do not either. Um, but hopefully you did enjoy Barbarian because we, we certainly did. Okay, I think we're done then. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will look forward to talking to everybody next week when we get back together. Until then, take care. And uh, yeah, say your line, Chris. Okay, saying my line. Seeing the ticket line.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.